All right. Check. Uh, yeah, I think we're on. Okay. Uh, this is happening. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome down to the uh, new episode. That's stupid. That's a real dumb way to start this. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome down to Dive Bar Bits. It is your friend, Ian. Um, it's a great time to be in Minnesota right now. Something amazing happened last week. I felt it. It really happened at around 3 o'clock in the afternoon last Wednesday. It turned into fall. And it was delightful. It was the air was crisp. The colors were changing. My cat was being friendly for the first time in six, seven months. Obviously, things were good. Um, I enjoyed fall, uh, but as of today, now it's fucking over. Uh, today is now it's now officially winter. There's sleet. There's horrible crap coming out of the sky. It's a horrible time to be alive. But what better time to drink too much in dive bars? And ladies and gentlemen, that is what we are here to do tonight. Tonight is actually a historic night, although every episode that we do, I end up coming up for, with a reason to say tonight is a historic night. But tonight especially so, because tonight has been the first time we have a guest picked the bar that we're at. We are at the Spot Bar on Randolph in St. Paul, Minnesota. And you know what? There's a lot of territorial bullshit. There's a lot of little brother things that I say about St. Paul, how it is Minneapolis's Canada. And I do believe that truly and wholeheartedly. But they do have us beat in one thing. It used to be two things because they used to have uh, uh, parking meters that took dimes. But now they only can beat us in one thing because now they got rid of those parking meters, which is they have much better dive bars than we do in Minneapolis. And the spot bar, I dare say, is really close to the top of that list. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's great. Uh, it's been here for a biz- 130 years, I believe. Uh, it opened in 1885. Uh, there is somewhere a very, very old bottle of whiskey that's like four feet tall, or maybe they drank it. I don't see it right now. Uh, we are here. The bar is unbelievably quiet. I've never been in a bar so quiet uh, because it is uh, World Series is happening right now, which I had not thought about. So if you hear people starting to scream, it's probably because one of the teams that are playing in the World Series this year, which I think Kansas City and the Mets. Is that it? Okay. That's it. Uh, and uh, we are here talking sports chat. Not really. Uh, with <laughs> With Jim Brunzel, who runs or is one of the people responsible for Sound Unseen, our annual film festival. It's been going on for how many years, Jim? This is our 16th year. 16 damn years. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and I think it's one of the better things that we have to do here this time of year. It's kicking off uh, in November, right? Yeah, it's two weeks from tonight. It's uh, Wednesday, November 11th. We'll kick off our So a, a week and a half, because we're gonna be, this is going to go out on oh, Monday. Right, right, yeah, right, so right, we, right. Just, we just totally affected the space-time continuum. But yes. what's the start date? Uh, November 11th. So, and how long have you been involved with Sound Unseen? So it's been going on for 16 years. Yeah, it started in 1999. I have been involved since 2008. Jeez, okay, so what goes into this? This sounds like a whole lot of damn work helping run a film festival. Yeah, it is, you know. um, And I can only speak from it when I started in 2008. Yeah. Basically, the idea is just to bring good... uh, You know, music films, art films, just entertaining films to the Twin Cities that uh, gets shown at other places around the world that other festivals seem to not even care about or yeah, which not is pick weird. up on. Yeah, because you figure this would be a niche that a lot of people would go towards. I mean, and I don't know the numbers on this, but I assume by far when it comes to documentaries streaming on Netflix or anywhere, if it's, if it's you know, about a guy who rescues dolphins, who gives a shit? If it's about Bob Weir, even I've seen the Bob Weir documentary, right. and I fucking hate the Grateful Dead, like right. with a passion. But right. something about uh, music documentaries, you know, seems to hit home. And this is one of the few uh, film festivals that I know of that kind of caters to that. Why? Why do you think that is? Well, I think because you know, I mean, the Twin Cities for a long time has been known as a great music town, yeah. and it made sense to 
have a music film festival here. I mean, you know, we have over a dozen, if not more, film festivals, so not, why not dedicate one strictly to music? I yeah. mean, because... You know, all over the world, people talk about Bob Dylan, talk about Prince, mm-hmm. and, you know, I mean, to a lesser extent, you know, the, the Jayhawks and, you know, uh, Dan Wilson and Soul Asylum and exactly. Doomtree and so on and so forth. So, you know, I mean, we, we, we looked at Sound and Scene as something like, you know, we wanted to kind of grow into like a South by Southwest model. Yeah. Which well, is a great model to have because right. they're fucking printing cash. <laughs> yes, they are. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great, like, strictly, you know, 100% music film festivals so that we admire. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'm in awe of all of them, you know, because I wish I had their programming and some of them in return, you know. And their deep pockets, yeah. I imagine, well, too. Well, you know, they would like to do what we're doing, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and what do you think that uh, Sound Scene has, then, on, you know, uh, other film festivals around the country? I know that's a real that's a real loaded question. That is when a you run question. something, when you run something, I yeah. mean, because I know this is very near and dear to you. I mean, when you run something, it's really hard I mean, to kind of think selflessly like that. But I mean, there are a lot of great, unique aspects about it. Yeah, I think a big part of it is you know, with myself, Vili Delusa, and uh, Rich Gill, mm-hmm. you know, we decide how we want the festival to be. Yeah, we're not, you know, we don't have a, a staff of twelve people, a mm-hmm. board of directors, yeah. an executive director. You know, I mean, we're all equals. Exactly. I'm running it. Yeah. So I mean, we decide on the program, we decide on the venues, we. Decide side on the music and it all just kind of comes together quite honestly yeah you know i mean there are a lot of fires that happen throughout the year or things that you've got to you know uh, you know you may wake up one day and suddenly you know um a film gets pulled or a band cancels Mm -hmm. or something you know so i mean you you know it's it's a very unexpected lifestyle but i mean it's 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 very rewarding if it all works out yeah now and because of this of course you're very very up on cinema which is one thing that i'm sadly not uh what's coming up this year that that you're excited about in sound and scene yeah in sound and scene what am i and 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 at large hey we can just talk we can just talk movies um yeah yeah uh you know, I'm. Uh, look, our opening night film is about uh, Mavis Staples and the okay. Staples Singers, yeah. which you know, I mean, I, I'd be lying if I said I, I listened to Mavis Staples every day. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm an admirer and I love R&B and soul music. Yeah. And you know, she's just a, a special woman and you know a, a huge influence to yeah. so many singers. Exactly. You know, and and it's a film that we chose carefully for opening night film. Because it hits a lot of demographics, you know, yeah. and it's family friendly and, um, you know, Mavis Staples is just a known name. Yeah. You know, and the fact that Jeff Tweedy's in the film. Oh, really? Okay, and yeah. And Bob Dylan's in the film. Jeez. So, yeah, I mean, it's got some local connections. And, and what's it called? It's called Mavis. Mavis, there With you go. With an exclamation point. Okay, so kind of like Elvis, you know. like the, Mavis. Yeah, uh, that's great. Or, so, or Wham. I guess it's more wham. like Wham. There yeah, we yeah, go, wham. yeah. They, they uh, had the extra, or exclamation point. Okay, so you have that coming up um, for opening night. And what else? Okay. And let's actually get outside of it. Um, okay. Yeah, let's talk film because you know more about this than, than anybody else I know. And you just got back from Texas. You spend a lot of time down there because you also run a film festival there. I do. I run the Austin Gay and Lesbian International Film Fest. So, and how much time do you spend in Teja? I was there uh, December, this last year, December 2014, and I got here... I got back to Minneapolis about three weeks ago. Okay. So, and I will probably most likely be heading back to Austin in early December. Wow. So you're, well, yeah, I mean, who the fuck wants to be here in, in December? Right. I mean, that's and, and, that's yeah. an enviable position to be yeah. in. Uh, so what goes into, I mean, in your years of seeing it, what goes into, <laughs> what goes into a, uh, a good film festival, you think? I mean, I think overall it's got to be the content. Yeah. You know, these are films that I want to see. 
and I think other people was should see. Was that kid selling tamales? He was selling tamales. Oh, man, I might have wanted a tamale. I don't know. Sorry. No, 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 I no, waved no. him away. No, you like, did that very well. Get you would not here. have known yeah. if I had not brought it up and did not stutter <laughs> when you did it. I'm like, it was so artfully done. Anyway, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. Go on. No, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the, you know, because if you go to a film festival and you see two or three films that are dogs or yeah. that just are awful, you're not going to come back. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we pride ourselves on having good films in our festival and films that people are, are you know, excited about that they they want to talk about that they're you know anxious about as well i mean what's the point of going to a film festival and watching a movie for two hours and walking out of it and be like well i guess we should go home now yeah you know and like just be all down i mean these are you know music is such an important part of everyone's life no matter what type of music you listen to and some of these films are really in a sense you know open you up to new um you know, musicians and solo Well, yeah, I mean, and, and talking about Mavis Staples, I mean, yeah. and she is like, I mean, not only is she, you know, a star on her own, but she's so one person removed from everybody else. Of she course. Was, I mean, all the stuff that she did with Curtis Mayfield, I mean, he was one of the big writers. I oh, mean, God, yeah. And not even to talk about, you know, Pop Staples, obviously, and all that stuff. Right. I mean, it's just, it, it's it, it just to, to try to wrap that up, I mean, it would be daunting as a, as a documentarian to try to take on that big of a topic. And that leads me to this question. Have you ever, have you ever dabbled in documentarian? No, but I don't know. Is, is documentarianism a word? Uh, I don't. I don't think, I, it, I don't is. think it is. Okay, well, it is now. To, to be a, a documentarian. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, I, I dabbled in screenwriting a little bit in college, mm-hmm. and you know, I definitely had the bug for film and wanting to make movies and such. And you know, I think there was just kind of a point where I, I just knew it was going to be a lot of work. Yeah. And I, and I don't consider myself a lazy person. I do. I oh. love. I love nothing more than sitting around. To be honest with you. Well, I'm I mean, too busy uh, right now. Right. Really right. There, me there off. is time to be lazy, of course. But as <laughs> yeah. far as like a life profession, I just knew being a filmmaker, I didn't have that drive for okay. it per se. And I, as a kid, I always wanted to be either a football player or a film critic. Okay. So those are really the only things I had like my eye on the prize on. So what happened to the football career? What well, happened to your promising? <laughs> I, I retired after 10th grade. Okay. Well, you had a good run. I had a it, good though. run. Yeah. I mean, your knees were getting shot. You're getting old at that yeah, point. I, yeah. I, yeah. And, you know, I was backup QB for a wishbone uh, offense. Um, in White Bear Lake, and yeah, I didn't see the field very much. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I mean, I was the kick returner. Okay. I was I was on the punt team, so you know, I mean, I, I I was a fast player, but I was small. Yeah. I mean, everyone else was you know five eleven, six feet, and I was you know five seven. So so where can some where can a uh, a smaller uh, kid with bad knees go into film uh, uh, critique? Why not? Yeah, damn straight. Or a, a comic book artist, or you know. And and what and what movie kind of set you off as a kid? Oh. That's a good question. Thank Ian. you. I ask them every now and again. I'll get, I'll get <laughs> one through. That is a good question. Fuck, man. Um, what is a movie that's uh, you know? Ooh, God, that is tough. I, okay. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll get. No, I'll no, get. No. Yeah. I'll, okay. Go. Um, you know, I and uh, I mean, it's still probably my favorite movie to this day. But I gotta say, uh, Drugstore Cowboy. Okay. You know, with Matt Dillon and um, Kelly Lynch. And that's Gus Van Sant, right? Yes, yeah, okay. yes. That was Gus Van Sant's second film, and it's also kind of the one that brought him, you know, uh, indie and then eventually mainstream yeah. success. Yeah. But no, I think that was just something that, you know, I might have been 12 years old when I saw that, 13 maybe. Maybe that might be a little young for someone to see right, drugs talking Right, about. right. But I just was really blown away by the story and the imagery. And, you know, I was just like, unlike anything I'd seen. And, you know, I think, too, another film that really affected me when I saw it, too, was Stand By Me. Okay. Because yeah. it was a film that, you know, it was. So about running this. the gamut from Gus Van Zandt to Rob Reiner. Yeah. Wow, yeah. I just remember my parents renting that movie. And they went out on a date, 
and I must have been like eight or nine, okay. and we had a babysitter. Yeah. And they were like, just put in a movie for him, he'll watch it. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think my parents had anything. Any, just put something on TV. I had no, you know, my parents had no idea what this movie is about. Uh-huh. You know, at least. Yeah. Not that I know of. And then, you know, of course, it's written by Stephen exactly. King. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, and then the whole purpose is them finding the dead body. And I was like, you know, and I think that affected me as a kid. But I think maybe, not- they, maybe they didn't know that. Maybe they knew it was a metaphor for life. And they, <laughs> there's a lot of lessons that had to get learned. Maybe. So, I don't know. Yeah, Stand By Me, Drugstore Cowboy. I mean, when I first saw, like, Pedro Almodovar mm-hmm. and uh, Fellini and, you know, Godard and John Houston and... Um, uh, I'm, I'm, That's a good list. You don't yeah. need to draw anybody else in there. That's still no, pretty a good. Billy Wilder. Yeah. I'd, I'd be, you know, I'd, I'd hate myself if I didn't bring a Billy Wilder. But, you know, yeah. And I mean, these are just, you know, as I got older and older, I was just kind of more interested in, you know, I don't want to say like the artsy fartsy type stuff, but I wasn't really all that interested in mainstream films, even when I was 15, 16 years old. Yeah. And going to the movies with my friends and stuff, they just pick awful. Yeah, stuff, you yeah. know. I mean, of course. But you're about my age, and the 1980s were not exactly a great a gold mine right. for movies that kids would go to. I mean, it really. I mean, and this is. I mean, on one hand, you had like the Canon Group, which mm. were churning out mm-hmm. uh, quality shit, but generally for an older audience. I mean, for kids. I mean, how old are you? I am 36. Okay, I'm 39, so I got a couple years on you. But I remember, like, you know, having to go see movies like The Monster Squad, right? And just, just shit like that. I mean, it really, it just sad. Yeah. Yeah. But. You know, and, and, and that's why, you know, part of this, too, I, I created this Defenders series. Yeah, and that's something I want to talk about. Oh, okay. Well, we don't and have to. And you have segued very nicely to it. Oh, well, but, you know, I mean, I just have appreciation of films that I think no one else likes but yeah. me. Yeah, And we all have, like, these secret films, you know, or films that we don't talk about but that we absolutely love. Yeah. And, yeah, that was kind of a reason why I wanted to do Defenders. Yeah, and I was uh, lucky enough to be asked to do this a couple years ago. And I brought in uh, the 1987 classic uh, with John Cusack and Tim Robbins. I brought in Tapeheads, which uh, was in... A great choice. I I thought so, too. Uh, But it was one of those movies that definitely was kind of a leftover of the era of video rental stores. Where you just kind of just throw darts and see what you get, you know, And, and... I think Tapeheads, I probably had rented everything else at that point. And I was just like, eh, let's give it a shot. And then next thing you know, like it it was one of the movies that made me figure out how to hook up two VCRs together so I could <laughs> illegally record it, <laughs> which is what I did, which I had a prolific run in high school. I, I had every damn movie. Bootlegging. Yeah, oh, hell yeah. yeah. That was awesome. I figured out how to how to bypass microvision or yeah. macrovision. Macrovision? Yeah, I, I was good yeah. at this crap. The real uh, money's I, in bootlegging. Yeah, and I uh, I still have some of them uh, down in the basement just because I almost need to watch Monty Python and the Holy Grail on a really shitty, you know, dubbed down to SLP on a used tape. Like, well, you that know, just is what it is to me. Yeah, and there's still like this hardcore audience out there of uh, cinephiles yeah. that will only watch things on VHS. Even those people are fucking weird, right? But it's a horrible you know, way. To I mean, watch everyone's things. got their vices, I suppose, or their 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 quirks and their habits. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I mean, and I understand it. I mean, especially understand it with uh, you know some movies that really only came out. I mean, I always thought. You know, um, you should only be able to listen to jazz like on on vinyl. You should only be able to listen to the Beatles like on vinyl. Like, I mean, it should be, uh, and then you should only be able to listen to like disco on eight track. And you should only be able to listen and to like, like the '80s hits on cassette. cassettes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think everything should be kind of done by the time that it came but out. I think of like, yeah. Um, in which because it, it becomes very endearing then to see movies a certain way. And once mm-hmm. we, you know, forced obsolescence, now we're moving on, you know, to now streaming. But you, do you lose something not having that physical, you know, contact with a big, stupid-looking plastic box? I, 
you know, I, I you know, I mean, it, it all serves as nostalgia at this point, at least in yeah. my mind. But you know, I, I'm 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 still the type of person that. Um, you know, if I want to buy a book or you know um, check one out from the library, I want the physical book. Of course, I'm not going to read. Straight. I'm not going to read an e-reader yeah. or on my iPad. Yeah. You know, I, I, that, like there's just that feeling of you know, or even the the daily paper. Yeah. I want to hold of the course. paper. Yeah, that's just dumb to do it otherwise. Right. So I mean, that's how I feel about movies. But yeah, unfortunately, it's just become so difficult now where everything has been uh, digitized. Yeah. You know, and 35 is basically now a lost art. And yeah, because most most theaters now are basically just you know showing very high res digital. Yeah, yeah. The, the era of seeing actual and film I mean, you know, projected it, it, is pretty well it, it over. It looks great. Yeah, if you don't know, you don't know. Yeah, and yeah, you wouldn't right. know, and you wouldn't know that you're lacking anything. Uh, you know, the one thing that nobody's nostalgic about laser discs. Why right. is that? Damn it! What, did you, I do you have have you ever had a laser disc? Player? I have. Really? Yes. Do you have one right now? I don't. Okay. Uh, yeah. What what can you even what did they have on there? There wasn't too many, and it was all analog. I had the box set. Of ET, yeah, and that was four discs. And sometimes, if you had a film that was over two hours, it came on multiple discs. Yeah. So then, another reason nobody's nostalgic about it. <laughs> right. And then, what was the other weird thing? So once one side got done playing with a lot of the older laser disc players, you had to like physically yeah, get up, get up and t- turn it turn over. Up. But I had one that had an auto flip on it. So once it got Look to the end you, of it, the I Brett know. Zell house is balling. Yes, yes. And at one point, our family did actually have, believe it or not, two laserdisc players. Jesus, I know, man. But that the other must one was, nice. yeah, the other one was pretty rustic and pretty old. Um, I never had one, but I've turned them down several times at thrift stores, where I'm just like, ah, fuck it, I'm gonna get it and I'm gonna watch Tootsie because right. like that's one of like the fifty. I mean, there's a lot of movies you can get on there, but you know, obviously all from like you can get Heaven's Gate. On right. there, you know, and well, stuff like that. And when Pulp Fiction came out, it was part of the Criterion Collection. Yeah. And so was Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. And those films still are not part of the Criterion Collection. So I don't know how that all... Well, and actually, um, now, the only way to watch Spinal Tap for me for a number of years was I had a VHS rip of the Laserdisc. Uh, because that was the only way you could actually listen to it with commentary yep. when they were just doing it as actors, not yep. in character. And and also, I mean, there's and uh, also I had a I had a VHS version of of Alien uh, or Aliens. I think both of them actually because they all had extra footage yeah. that was cut back in, yeah, right. which was great. But I mean, I think we have lost something because now we just kind of assume that everything is going to. I mean, everything's a deluxe edition now. There's no. I mean, it's really hard for people just to go, "Wow, you have no idea." For like my entire childhood, I couldn't watch the movie like this. Mm-hmm. Like this, all this crap wasn't in it. Now it's just what everybody's has kind of grown accustomed to. Right, and you know, and just to to keep going on this real quick, not laser disc because I think that conversation's now that's long over. That's yeah, long yeah. Over. We, 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 we sucked the blood out of yeah. that one though. Uh, uh, but no, so the other day they just re-released uh, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive on Criterion. Okay. And I need to pick that up on Blu-ray. Sorry, the snob that I am. But, oh, yeah. You know, I got to get the, the Blu-ray Criterion because when you bought the original disc, it had no extras, no nothing. Yeah. You put the disc in and you couldn't skip ahead. Oh, really? It was just yeah. it, autoplay I mean, all you the could, way. You could pause it, but it didn't have chapter breaks. Mm-hmm. So you had to basically watch it in one sitting. Yeah. You know. And, and so and what's out there, I mean, and hit me uh, and to a greater extent and the people listening eh, to a lesser extent, well, what are some kind of unheralded gems that you can probably, you know, pick up for cheap or see streaming for next to nothing that people not, might not be hip with? That's, uh, what, just on iTunes, Netflix? Yeah, just, just, what's just out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're just, if you're a savvy uh, person with the internet, oh man, you can, you can track down. What's like the one or two movies that everyone should see but no one has? 
Also a very big question. That is Sorry. a very yeah, big I'm question. Really, just throw. Okay. I'm either if asking follow up questions you, about laser disc or yeah. <laughs> asking the meaning of life. That's yes. all this podcast if, is. If, this episode. If, if you can find it, I would recommend the Dark Backward. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Never okay. heard of it. So it has uh, Judd Nelson. I have heard of Judd Nelson. <laughs> Bill Paxson. I did not expect these names to come next. It has Wayne Newton in it. Okay, I'm in. Yeah. And it's by Adam Rifkin. All right. So Adam's made, God, I don't know, maybe six or seven films. Anyway, the premise is, um, so Judd Nelson is like this really awful comedian. Okay, I can and, see that. Yeah. <laughs> You got me. I'm yeah. In, yeah. Like the, the big hook to the film is after like 15, 20 minutes, he has like this nervous breakdown and he freaks out and he grows a third arm out of his back and that becomes his act. As, as, uh, okay. So he'll, he has his coat on and he's got like a big thing sticking out of his back. I'm less surprised that I haven't heard of this movie now, Jim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So, okay. But, okay. So, and, and he'll, Judd- t- and he tells his jokes. Yeah. And then when he's done telling the joke, he like basically spins around or pirouettes for the audience and they see like this third hand yeah. coming out. And then they lose their shit. Right. Of course. And it's just like this really like crazy, campy, surreal movie. I mean, like, you know, it's been probably a decade yeah. since I've seen it. Yeah, but, but now I mean, and you and you do the defenders. Yeah, now you're defending yeah. this to me, All right? right and, and and there is a scene where he's buddies with Bill Paxton. Yeah, and and he, Bill Paxton is, and that's the one who's in Aliens, right? Yes. I always get my Paxton pullman because he's yes. the one who uh, directed Fish Heads. And uh, that's Bill Fishman. What? No, that's Tapeheads. No, no Tapeheads. But you know the the music video Fish Heads by uh, Barnes and Barnes. I don't. Okay. Well, you got to go watch it. Okay, uh, okay Fishheads. It was a really early MTV hit, uh, but nobody knows this. Uh, it was by a band called Barnes and Barnes. The song okay. is Fishheads. Okay. Um, and there's a long form version that Bill Paxton is in because uh, he kind of sets it up. There's this weird walking scene. Um, but yeah, he actually directed it in film school. And Barnes and Barnes, one of Barnes and Barnes was Bill Mummy uh, from okay. The Twilight Zone and Lost in Space and all of that stuff. Anyway, totally unnecessary tangent. I apologize. Now go on. So Bill Paxson works at the, the city dump, and they go and they find all this stuff. And I just remember Bill Paxson's girlfriend' name in the movie was Pickles. 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 It's, and you're swearing by this movie. This is a movie you're defending right now. I, yes, okay. yes. I would, I would recommend it. Just if you're looking for like a real oddity type of movie. Judd Nelson with a third fucking yeah. arm. That the, would be The dark would backward. Be weird. I'm telling you. The dark backward. Okay. So if you can find it, I would just watch it just for the sheer like. And this is out there. This is something oh, that yeah. no one's no one's buried yet. This is no, still very no. much in the domain. Oh yeah. Okay. And, and I think there is there's probably an audience for this film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Why not? I mean, it just never found it. Um, what year did that come out you think? I want to say maybe like 91 or 92. Okay. All right. Um, and, uh, and you're still doing The Defenders, right? I'm still doing The Defenders. And that happens at the Trilon Micro Cinema. Correct. Um, and how often does that happen? Uh, well, it's happened less recently because I am in Austin. Yeah, exactly. You're far, far away. But uh, I am doing one on the 18th. Beautiful. This will be out in time for that. Yes. November 18th. Yes. And and honestly... And, and it's and going to be you defending? It's going to be me defending. Okay. And, and that's uh, the thing. You can't say what you're defending. Right. And you show up and it's a surprise if you haven't been to it before. Correct. And I, I, I could be hanging up the boots. Really? Yeah. So this is going to be... It, 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 I'm either putting it on hiatus or I could retire it. Wow. So breaking news right here on Dive Bar Mitzvah, everybody. Yeah. Give me a, a number between 1 and 10. 
Eight. Eight. Good, good, good. Uh, what we're about to do here is become a regular occurrence here at Dive Bar Mitzvah. This is the James Lipton question. Okay. Uh, where I ask a question, a classic question by James Lipton as read on Inside the Actors Studio. Uh, and then we see what happened. Number eight. We've not done number eight before. Um, so let's see what happens here. What profession? Ooh, and I need to kind of say this, you know, with a lot of thought here. Uh, all right. What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? That's number eight, the James Lipton question. Okay, I got it. All right. Uh, I think a teacher. A teacher. Good. A teacher. And why, and why is that? Um, I don't know. I think it would just be fun or fascinating to go into a classroom every day or once a week or twice a week yeah. and uh, just, you know, spew knowledge and, you know, just talk amongst. I find the concept horrifying. To be right. a teacher, I could not do it. Well. Because, I mean, first off, I was, I believe in something called karma and I was just the shittiest of shitty students. I was a little smart ass and I really deserve to get my ass kicked pretty much every day of the week and it never happened. Uh, so I, I, I couldn't do it. I do not have the patience. You are obviously more of an optimist. Yeah, I would say. But, you know, again, I, you know, if I had maybe, you know, 10, 15 minutes, maybe I'll change my mind by the end of this podcast. Okay, well, then we'll keep us in the know on that. Yes. Um, now, uh, one thing you did not want to do is go into the family business. Uh, That's right. And, and uh, now, blow some minds here. Uh, what, what, what does your dad do? Or what did your dad do for a living? My dad for a living for, I believe, 27 years was a professional wrestler. Professional wrestler. Yes. And and his name was Jumpin' Jim Brunzel. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, I guess the surprise really isn't that there is that much there if you if you're familiar with yeah. uh, your father. I was uh, familiar with and a fan of as one half of the Killer Bees. Correct. Uh, for the WWF back when there was a WWF, yep. um, and their hook was that they had they were sometimes they had masks. They did, and they were good guys. Yes. Uh, but they could hide like they would hide, and they'd put on the mask. Like who's who's the legal who's, man yeah, in? Yeah. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Uh, so how did uh, what was that like growing up with? I mean, I assume this opened you up to a lot of things um, as a child. <laughs> like I assume you got cooler toys for free because you know it's just they're just around. I imagine. I mean, yeah. What was, I mean, what was it like being the kid of a professional wrestler, Jim? Um. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it was. You know, it wasn't as glamorous as I think people make it out to be. I mean, I think one because the 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 Brunzels decided to stay in Minnesota. Yeah, and, and I mean, Minnesota, of course, known for being once upon a time a very uh, wrestling friendly right uh, state. But I mean, it seemed like everybody kind of fucked off. Like you never see Ric Flair walking down the goddamn street. No, you don't see you don't no. see uh, the Living Road Warrior uh, still around. Yeah. you know, I mean, you just don't. Right. Well, and you know, I, I and you know, there was a brief period though when I was very young where we lived in Charlotte. Oh, North okay. Carolina. Yeah. So we were there, but then I think we moved back. We originally moved back to Brooklyn Park, and then we finally settled in White Bear Lake. Yeah. And that was something I always admired. My dad, when he was in the ring, where you know, it was he never said he was from St. Paul, Minneapolis, or the Twin Cities. He always said he was from White, White Bear, Bear Lake. Lake. WBL. That's right. So that. Um, but to get back to your original question, yeah, you know, I mean, my mom took care of my sister and I. Mm-hmm. You yeah, because I assume dad's on the road a yeah, lot. Like yeah, like 26, 27 days out of a month, Jeez. you know, and my dad would come home and be home for three, four days. And, and then probably do it just all over wanted again. to sleep, I'd imagine. I mean, just wanted to relax and recuperate for basically, you know, getting knocked around yeah. for 27 yeah. well, days. Well, you, you know, I mean, you, you know, you, you have odd hours, too, because, yeah. I mean, you know, they would wrestle at whatever, eight, nine o'clock at mm-hmm. night, and then, you know, you, you shower and then you leave, and then you're basically on a plane, you yeah. land somewhere, you know. 
at three, four in the morning. Then you try to get four or five hours of sleep. Yeah. You get up, you work out, you eat, you go to the, the ring, you mm-hmm. train and you do interviews and then you're wrestling again. I yeah. mean, it's just, it's very, you know, a, a deja vu type of yeah, scenario. Yeah, probably never really 100% anywhere, like at that point. You're right. just constantly on yeah. the move. I mean, it's like that running joke of musicians, you know, where they have to write the name of the city they're yeah. in on their guitar. Well, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you do it for 27 days a month. Yeah, I'd imagine that's the case. Yeah, and I mean, you know, I, I, you know, and there was perks along the way, of course. You know, I mean, I think... Um, I would say, you know, friends treated me dif- differently, yeah, or people I bet did. They did, yeah. You know, um, but you know, I had my moments with, uh, you know, bullies and uh-huh. whatnot, and people picking on me for oh, really? jealousy purposes. Okay, or just, so like to see how tough the wrestler's kid is. Yeah, oh, okay, yeah. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, okay, yeah, because <laughs> I was, I grew up a pussy. I wouldn't start fights with anybody. <laughs> well, and you know, I, I was never one that really got in a lot of fights. Either. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just weird that you would be. A target then, because your dad is known for being, you know, a big guy. Right, right. Um, now, did you ever uh, get to go on the road with the old man? Did I did. Ever, uh, did yeah, you, what yeah. What was that like? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it was fine. You know, I when he would come home and when he'd wrestle in nearby cities like say Duluth, Madison, uh-huh. Fargo. Yeah, he would come home and he would drive, and I would go with him. Yeah. So I'd go to the matches. I'd get to meet all the wrestlers and shake their hands, take pictures. Yeah, you got any uh, any memories? Any strong memories of that period? Anybody who was a real dick or anybody who was really awesome? I guess would be the two extremes to go with. Um, I guess it was kind of a trip to meet like uh, Coco Beware. Oh, I love Coco Beware. And yeah, the bird. Yeah, damn straight. Yeah. What's um, the bird's name? I don't remember the bird's ooh, name right now. Yeah, uh, I don't either. Uh. Um. You know, but then, yeah, I mean, some of them were more friendly than others. Of I course. mean, I, I don't yeah, remember yeah, yeah. offhand, you know, but I mean, they'd all just be like, hey, you know, my dad would be like, hey, this is my son. And they just come over and shake my hey. hand. And, you know, but yeah. And I mean, I remember like meeting Hulk Hogan when I was yeah. like six years old. Wow. You know, and, um, and he's like king of the world right then. I mean, he's like, oh, you yeah. know, as bad, big of a deal as you can get. Right. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, he I think he'll b- go down in history as like the most recognizable yeah, wrestler yeah, yeah. of all time. Damn straight. Yeah. I um, mean, because that's really somehow was the gasoline that the industry needed to really explode. Because, I mean, before that, it was 30 years of Bruno San Martino Tino. beating up the Iron Sheik. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who gives a shit? Right. But you, find, you get, you know, some guy who shaves his chest hair and bleaches his hair, <laughs> then, hey, what do you what do you know? We got everything well, going on. Well, but Hulk was a good wrestler, too. I think he, people, was he? Okay. I think people forget that. I, I forgot that. Like, I, I see those leg drops. And man, well, Grandma and could do a better and, leg and, drop than that, man. Well, and uh, just to give a little bit of my own background here, yeah. uh, before doing this podcast, um, I never really listened to a whole lot of podcasts, but the podcasts I did listen to, the ones I can listen to endlessly, are wrestling podcasts. The uh, Jim Cornette experience. I can yeah. listen. I can listen to Jim Cornette, uh, he's a famous uh, wrestling manager uh, from the '80s. He did a lot of stuff uh, in the NWA, not the band NWA, but the uh, Northwest <laughs> Wrestling Alliance or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he was a heel manager. He managed the Midnight Express. And when I was a That's kid, right. I had a dartboard that had a picture of Jim Cornette on it. I used to throw because I hated him so much. And when I got older, I realized. That is the best beef ever. I mean, like he got kids pissed off, and he's really smart, really well spoken, um, and just a, still a real motherfucker. Uh, and I hope someday I get him on the podcast. God knows how I'll do that. Well, but but yeah, but if it, I can help out in any way, I'll do you my know best. What? I'm going to drop some names here, but yeah, but I could listen to these wrestling podcasts all the time, and that's kind of what made me want to do this. And this is the first time I've actually got to talk wrestling because '80s wrestling, you know, back when wrestling was wrestling, you know, when it was right? actually right? like a thing, when when ugly people could do it, you know, I mean, when, when you could be big ugly and hairy and you know what you've got if you weigh 400 pounds you've got a job man. Right. I well, mean, and that was a great era and something we've very much lost george now. the animal steel god damn yeah i mean and i honestly and until he ate turnbuckles i thought until about two years ago he actually had a blue tongue yeah. like i just assumed that was real because you know huskies right. or whatever dogs have blue tongues i figured maybe yeah. there's some genetic abnormality that would give 
George the Animal. But no, he was like a like a football coach somewhere, right? Yeah, he was like yeah, a, yeah in something or like that. Yeah, yep, just yep. a normal dude, and then would just go out and eat turnbuckles for the hell of it. Right, which and, is awesome. But you know, and, and, and a wrestler. I mean, outside of my dad and his tag teams that I really admire a lot. Who I thought was a great wrestler too was Ted DiBiase, yeah, the Million Dollar, million man. dollar man, and yeah. he had a great gimmick. Well, he, yeah, I guess, yeah, he was a, he was an he was an arrogant rich guy, yeah, yeah, who had who had his he, servant Virgil. That's right, and he would shove a hundred dollar bills yes. or twenty dollar bills yeah. in people's mouths after he <laughs> after won. Him, but yeah. he was a good wrestler. I mean, he was good in the ring. Yeah, he had moves and, he, and, and heat like nothing else. Right. Yeah. So, and he had quite a mullet, if I remember correctly. He did. He had a sweet mullet. Yep. So, but no, he. I think again, I think that was he was a pretty great wrestler. Yeah. Now, did you end up? Did you have more opinions about wrestling as a child because of this connection to it, or did you, were you a fan like anybody else, or did you kind of think that it was kind of dumb? I mean, because I mean, my dad was a musician growing up, and I mean, and I never really looked at it with any sort of impunity or thinking that it was better than anything else. I just kind of thought eh, it's some weird thing my dad does. But I mean, what was your opinion as a kid looking at this? I mean, I think there was a period. When I was growing up, where I was really into it, yeah. But then I think after a while, I kind of checked out. Yeah. You know, I mean, if my dad, like all other kids, probably. Well, I, you know, I, like, I mean, like, with wrestling, you know, just kind of like you know, I, I you're guess, hot on it, and then you get yeah. Cold. I mean, you know, as far as like a status thing, I mean, I guess I wasn't thinking about it when I was 11 or 12 years old. But I didn't want to be known as the son of a wrestler. Of course not. Yeah. You know. I mean, again, you know. But a good wrestler, a well-known wrestler, right. and working, you know, in the 80s WWF. I mean, that was. Right. That was like being rubbed on the well, belly by God. Right. And, I mean, and that was I, a big deal. And believe me, I understood like all my other friends, like their dads were not wrestlers. No, no. No, I totally understood yeah. that. But I didn't like rub it in people's oh, faces. Yeah. You know, I, I didn't brag about it. I, I was very humble about it. And, you know, I mean, it was just what he did for a living, yeah. you know, and it was just the, the, the sad fact that he was gone a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I, I give my mom a lot of credit for raising my sister and That's I. Great. And, yeah. you know, I mean, my parents are still together and, um, you know, they've been together. 40 years. I mean, and that's, I mean, that speaks mountains to his character because you don't hear about that in wrestling. It's an industry where, I mean, if you're lucky enough to be still kicking, I mean, there's usually a whole lot of divorces in the past. Well, believe it or not, the other day, um, we were watching the, the Monday Night Football game and we flipped it over onto WWE Raw. Okay. And they showed clips from the, the pay-per-view event or whatever, and it was The Undertaker versus Brock Lesnar. Yeah, okay. The Undertaker... Started wrestling in 1993. He's been going forever. That yeah. was my dad's last year. Wow. Okay. In WWF. Yeah. It was 93. Yeah. That was Undertaker's first year. Yeah. That was 22 years ago. It's a long damn time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. Dad, did you tell your Did you tell your dad you're gonna do the podcast? Yeah. That's and, weird. And, and, I, and, you told me this before we started rolling. I'm but, like, oh, but no, awesome. he. Well, he and and I'll, I'll say too. My dad just published uh, a self published book that yeah. he wrote called Matlands. Yeah. And so, he had a song. Yes. I couldn't, and I was going to spring it on you, and I could not find a copy <laughs> of the song to save my life. I we was have up, it I was on up, vinyl at I, home. It's a picture disc, yes, right? It okay. is. Yeah. All yep. right. Well, yep. if, we, if we ever con your dad into doing this, we're going to talk about that. What's okay. the song sound like? Uh... It's to, it's to Badlands by yes, Springsteen. Isn't correct. It? I saw that My on the My dad is a note. diehard Bruce, Bruce, Bruce Springsteen fan. He's such a big Bruce Springsteen fan, he decided, I can do that song better. Yep. That's, that's a special level. And, and tell me about the book. Uh, it's just basically a lot of stories that my dad wrote just on first-hand accounts of him growing up and you know becoming a, a wrestler along in all these different wrestling stories. What a son! On, oh, I'm interviewing you and you're doing a pitch for your dad's book. That is what what a what a that's a quality son right there. Well, you are. people should know about Damn it. That's right. 
And then they can find it, I assume, just Google and Matt it, it, Yeah, it's on blurb.com. Oh, there you there, go. There we go. Look at that. Plugged it. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, What else we got? Are we wrapping up? We're wrapping up. So let's go through some of the specs on uh, Sound Unseen. Sure. Uh, one more time, what day? When does it start? It starts uh, Wednesday, November 11th. And the uh, kickoff is Mavis, exclamation mark. Yep. Uh, is there anything else in there that you're really excited about? No, everything else. No, is, not no, at all. No. It's all crap. It's, yeah, just, it's just Mavis. <laughs> just go see. No, no, there's a lot of great stuff. I mean, there's stuff on The Residence. Uh, oh, wow. Okay. More Morphine, DJ Jeez. Am, The Damned, um, Albert Mazels, who okay. just passed away, yeah. so give me shelter. Do you remember this um, metal band called Thor? I do. I remember Thor. There's, I mean, because I read obscure music blogs okay. where they will talk about things like Thor. That yeah. is actually one of like the gems in the festival. It's really? a documentary called I Am Thor. And I think I'd heard that something was coming down the pike, yeah. that, they, that, that somebody was doing a documentary it's, about this. It's pretty fantastic. Rich really? and I, yeah, we love it. It's it's so much fun. All right. See, and this is why I'm so jealous of you guys, because you, you guys get to see this stuff and just like, you know, on mass, like you just get to eat this like yeah. all year and you just get to see cool stuff like that. And the, I am Thor. All right. I am Thor. So um, and uh, and I assume uh, just sound unseen on Twitter. Yep. Uh, like it on unseen. Facebook. Yep. All and that then stuff. Soundunseen.com. The whole schedule's up there. So that's awesome. So and it's coming up. So everybody uh, get out, get cultured. There's a handful of things that happen here in Minnesota that we can all take that we can all be proud of. And this is one of them. Damn it. So please uh, come on out and help support Sound Unseen. Uh, Jim, thank you very much for taking the time to hang out here at the Spot Bar. Apparently, the oldest bar in St. Paul. Which you I got it, Ian. Thanks. And I guess I, I couldn't think of a different profession other than a teacher. So. Yeah. No. Well, there we go. I guess we're we're gonna end it where we started. Maybe with a that. beer taster. Yeah. I mean, and we're gonna have some more of that. Yes. Uh, in scant moments. And see, this is a great thing about being in Minnesota and having dive bars. Because I mean, really, being here in the Spot Bar, if I had to be here for six months until, like, if there was a huge ice storm and I was trapped here for like a weekend, I could totally make that work. Yeah, there's an Elvis pinball machine. There's you know nice people. They actually have a really uh, and nobody's yelled at us. This bar they, is so damn quiet. They, We're doing a podcast they, they, they and no have, one's yelled at us. They have quite a great jukebox as well. So well, and we have to put something in there in a little bit. All right, Jim. Yet again, thank you again for uh, taking the time to hang out with us. You got it, Ian. All right, uh, here. Let me give some love to our sponsors. Um, and uh, we have who? One car service driving smiles without extra miles. Program this in your phone. Six one two five four five fifty eight forty eight for a ride or find them on facebook uh that is what gets us around safely yet again one car service 612-545-5848 uh stand up records oh and i never even got to talk to you about um about los enchiladas which was great uh, uh stand up uh helped throw together uh something for sound unseen at the bryant lake bowl which was los enchiladas mitch hedberg's lost movie uh but they like their comedy like they like their booze straight up and bitter check them up at standuprecords.com they have new albums out now by jim david Corey Adam, mary mac Maggie Ferris, and always in the picture and always in good taste, Pamps Blue Ribbon. Add extra flair to those leisure time activities. Put Pamps Blue Ribbon in the picture. People of good taste naturally go for its old-time beer flavor. Original Pabst brewed as it was when it won the Blue Ribbon in 1893. So next time, put yourself in the picture and enjoy Original Pabst Blue Ribbon. There you go, our new sponsor, PBR. Thanks for watching. Or to, thanks, watch for, thanks for listening today, everybody. Thanks again, Jim. Now let's go get drunk.